0: Section 6 of The Book of Household Management. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Corrie Samuel. The Book of Household Management by Isabella Beaton. Chapter 4 Introduction to Cookery. 76. As in the fine arts, the progress of mankind, from barbarism to civilization, is marked by a gradual succession of triumphs over the rude materialities of nature. So in the art of cookery is the progress gradual, from the earliest and simplest modes, to those of the most complicated and refined. Plain or rudely carved stones, tumuli, or mounds of earth, are the monuments by which barbarous tribes denote the events of their history, to be succeeded only in the long course of a series of ages, by beautifully proportioned columns, gracefully sculptured statues, triumphal arches, coins, medals, and the higher efforts of the pencil and the pen, as man advances by culture and observation to the perfection of his facilities. So it is with the art of cookery man in his primitive state lives upon roots and the fruits of the earth until by degrees he is driven to seek for new means by which his wants may be supplied and enlarged he then becomes a hunter and a fisher as his species increases greater necessities come upon him when he gradually abandons the roving life of the savage for the more stationary pursuits of the herdsman. These beget still more settled habits, when he begins the practice of agriculture, forms ideas of the rights of property, and has his own, both defined and secured. The forest, the stream, and the sea are now no longer his only resources for food. He sows and he reaps, pastures and breeds cattle, lives on the cultivated produce of his fields, and revels in the luxuries of the dairy raises flocks for clothing, and assumes, to all intents and purposes, the habits of permanent life and the comfortable condition of a farmer. This is the fourth stage of social progress, up to which the useful or mechanical arts have been incidentally developing themselves when trade and commerce begin. Through these various phases, only to live has been the great object of mankind, but... By and by, comforts are multiplied, and accumulating riches creates new wants. The object, then, is not only to live, but to live economically, agreeably, tastefully, and well. Accordingly, the art of cookery commences, and although the fruits of the earth, the fowls of the air, the beasts of the field, and the fish of the sea are still the only food of mankind, yet these are so prepared, improved, and dressed by skill and ingenuity that they are the means of immeasurably extending the boundaries of human enjoyments. Everything that is edible, and passes under the hands of the cook, is more or less changed, and assumes new forms. Hence the influence of that functionary is immense upon the happiness of a household. 77 In order that the duties of the cook may be properly performed, and that he may be able to reproduce esteemed dishes with certainty, all terms of indecision should be banished from his art. Accordingly, what is known only to him will, in these pages, be made known to others. In them, all those indecisive terms expressed by a bit of this, some of that, a small piece of that, and a handful of the other, shall never be made use of, but all quantities be precisely and explicitly stated. With the desire also that all ignorance on this most essential part of the culinary art should disappear, and that a uniform system of weights and measures should be adopted, we give an account of the weights which answer to certain measures. A tablespoonful is frequently mentioned in a recipe, in the prescriptions of medical men, and also in medical, chemical, and gastronomical works. By it is generally meant and understood a measure or bulk equal to that which would be produced by half an ounce of water. A dessert spoonful is the half of a tablespoonful, that is to say, by it is meant a measure or bulk equal to a quarter of an ounce of water. A teaspoonful is equal in quantity to a dram of water. A drop. This is the name of a vague kind of measure, and is so called on account of the liquid being dropped from the mouth of the bottle. Its quantity, however, will vary, either from the consistency of the liquid, or the size and shape of the mouth of the bottle. The College of Physicians determined the quantity of a drop to be one grain, sixty drops making one fluid dram. Their drop, or sixtieth part of a fluid dram, is called a minim. Graduated glass measures can be obtained at any chemists, and they save much trouble. One of these, containing a wine-pint, is divided into sixteen ounces, and the ounce into sixteen drams of water, by which any certain weight mentioned in a recipe can be accurately measured out. Home-made measures of this kind can readily be formed By weighing the water contained in any given measure, and marking on any tall glass the space it occupies, this mark can easily be made with a file. It will be interesting to many readers to know the basis on which the French found their system of weights and measures, for it certainly possesses the grandeur of simplicity. The metre, which is the basis of the whole system of French weights and measures, is the exact measurement of one forty-millionth part of a meridian of the earth. 78. Excellence in the art of cookery, as in all things, is only attainable by practice and experience. In proportion, therefore, to the opportunities which a cook has had of these, so will be his excellence in the art. It is in the large establishments of princes, noblemen, and very affluent families alone, that the man-cook is found in this country. He also superintends the kitchens of large hotels, clubs, and public institutions, where he, usually, makes out the bills of fare, which are generally submitted to the principal for approval. To be able to do this, therefore, it is absolutely necessary that he should be a judge of the season of every dish, As well as know perfectly the state of every article he undertakes to prepare he must also be a great judge of every article he buys for no skill however great it may be will enable him to make good that which is really bad on him rests the responsibility of the cooking generally whilst a speciality of his department is to prepare the rich soups stews ragouts, and other dishes as enter into the more refined and complicated portions of his art, and such as are not usually understood by ordinary professors. He, therefore, holds a high position in a household, being inferior in rank, as already shown, only to the house-steward, the valet, and the butler. In the luxurious ages of Grecian antiquity, Sicilian cooks were the most esteemed, and received high rewards for their services. Among them, One called Trimalcio was such an adept in his art that he could impart to common fish both the form and flavour of the most esteemed of the piscatory tribes. A chief cook in the palmy days of Roman voluptuousness had about eight hundred pounds a year, and Antony rewarded the one that cooked the supper which pleased Cleopatra with the present of a city. With the fall of the empire, the culinary art sank into less consideration. In the Middle Ages, cooks laboured to acquire a reputation for their sources, which they composed of strange combinations, for the sake of novelty as well as singularity. 79. The duties of the cook, the kitchen, and the scullery-maids, are so intimately associated that they can hardly be treated of separately. The cook, however, is at the head of the kitchen, and in proportion to her possession of the qualities of cleanliness, neatness, order, regularity, and celerity of action, so will her influence appear in the conduct of those who are under her, as it is upon her that the whole responsibility of the business of the kitchen rests, whilst the others must lend her both a ready and a willing assistance, and be especially tidy in their appearance, and active in their movements, in the larger establishments of the middle ages cooks with the authority of feudal chiefs gave their orders from a high chair in which they ensconced themselves and commanded a view of all that was going on throughout their several domains each held a long wooden spoon with which he tasted without leaving his seat the various comestibles that were cooking on the stoves and which he frequently used as a rod of punishment On the backs of those whose idleness and gluttony too largely predominated over their diligence and temperance. 80. If, as we have said, the quality of early rising be of the first importance to the mistress, what must it be to the servant? Let it therefore be taken as a long-proved truism, that without it, in every domestic, the effect of all things else so far as work is concerned, may, in a great measure, be neutralized. In a cook this quality is most essential. For an hour lost in the morning will keep her toiling, absolutely toiling, all day, to overtake that which might otherwise have been achieved with ease. In large establishments, six is a good hour to rise in the summer, and seven in the winter. 81. Her first duty, in large establishments, and where it is requisite, should be to set her dough for the breakfast rolls, provided this has not been done on the previous night, and then to engage herself with those numerous little preliminary occupations, which may not inappropriately be termed laying out her duties for the day. This will bring in the breakfast hour of eight, after which directions must be given, and preparations made, for the different dinners of the household and family. 82. In those numerous households, where a cook and housemaid only are kept, the general custom is that the cook shall have the charge of the dining-room. The hall, the lamps, and the doorstep are also committed to her care, and any other work there may be on the outside of the house. In establishments of this kind the cook will, after having lighted her kitchen fire, carefully brushed the range, and cleaned the hearth, proceed to prepare for breakfast. She will thoroughly rinse the kettle, and, filling it with fresh water, will put it on the fire to boil. She will then go to the breakfast-room, or parlour, and there make all things ready for the breakfast of the family. Her attention will next be directed to the hall, which she will sweep and wipe. The kitchen stairs, if there be any, will now be swept, and the hall mats, which have been removed and shaken. "'will again be put in their places. "'The cleaning of the kitchen, pantry, passages, and kitchen stairs "'must always be over before breakfast, "'so that it may not interfere with the other business of the day. "'Everything should be ready, "'and the whole house should wear a comfortable aspect "'when the heads of the house and members of the family make their appearance. "'Nothing, it may be depended on, "'will so please the mistress of an establishment "'as to notice that, Although she has not been present to see that the work was done, attention to smaller matters has been carefully paid, with a view to giving her satisfaction and increasing her comfort. 83. By the time that the cook has performed the duties mentioned above, and well swept, brushed, and dusted her kitchen, the breakfast-bell will most likely summon her to the parlour to bring in the breakfast. It is the cook's department, generally, "'in the smaller establishments, to wait at breakfast, "'as the housemaid by this time has gone upstairs into the bedrooms "'and has there applied herself to her various duties. "'The cook usually answers the bells and single knocks at the door "'in the early part of the morning, "'as the tradesmen, with whom it is her more special business to speak, "'call at these hours. "'84. "'It is in her preparation of the dinner,' That the cook begins to feel the weight and responsibility of her situation, as she must take upon herself all the dressing and the serving of the principal dishes, which her skill and ingenuity have mostly prepared. Whilst these, however, are cooking, she must be ready with her pastry, soups, gravies, ragouts, etc. Stock, or what the French call consommé, being the basis of most made dishes, must be always at hand in conjunction with her sweet herbs and spices for seasoning. A place for everything, and everything in its place, must be her rule, in order that time may not be wasted in looking for things when they are wanted, and in order that the whole apparatus of cooking may move with the regularity and precision of a well-adjusted machine, all must go on simultaneously. The vegetables and sauces must be ready with the dishes they are to accompany, and in order that they may be suitable, the smallest oversight must not be made in their preparation. When the dinner hour has arrived, it is the duty of the cook to dish up such dishes as may, without injury, stand for some time, covered on the hot plate or in the hot closet, but such as are of a more important or recherche kind must be delayed until the order to serve is given from the drawing-room. Then comes haste, But there must be no hurry, all must work with order. The cook takes charge of the fish, soups, and poultry, and the kitchen-maid of the vegetables, sauces, and gravies. These she puts into their appropriate dishes, whilst the scullery-maid waits on and assists the cook. Everything must be timed so as to prevent its getting cold, whilst great care should be taken that, between the first and second courses, No more time is allowed to elapse than is necessary, for fear that the company in the dining-room lose all relish for what has yet come of the dinner. When the dinner has been served, the most important feature in the daily life of the cook is at an end. She must, however, now begin to look to the contents of her larder, taking care to keep everything sweet and clean, so that no disagreeable smells may arise from the gravies, milk, or meat that may be there. These are the principal duties of a cook in a first-rate establishment. In smaller establishments, the housekeeper often conducts the higher department of cooking, and the cook, with the assistance of a scullery maid, performs some of the subordinate duties of the kitchen maid. When circumstances render it necessary, the cook engages to perform the whole of the work of the kitchen, and, in some places, a portion of the housework also. Eighty five. Whilst the cook is engaged with her morning duties, the kitchen maid is also occupied with hers. Her first duty, after the fire is lighted, is to sweep and clean the kitchen and the various offices belonging to it. This she does every morning, besides cleaning the stone steps at the entrance of the house, the halls, the passages, and the stairs which lead to the kitchen. Her general duties, besides these, are to wash and scour all these places twice a week, with the tables, shelves, and cupboards. She has also to dress the nursery and servants' hall dinners, to prepare all fish, poultry, and vegetables, trim meat joints and cutlets, and do all such duties as may be considered to enter into the cook's department in a subordinate degree. 86. The duties of the scullery-maid are to assist the cook, to keep the scullery clean, and all the metallic as well as earthenware kitchen utensils. The position of scullery-maid is not, of course, one of high rank, nor is the payment for her services large. But if she be fortunate enough to have over her a good kitchen-maid and clever cook, she may very soon learn to perform various little duties connected with cooking operations, which may be of considerable service in fitting her for a more responsible place. Now, it will be doubtless thought by the majority of our readers, that the fascinations connected with the position of the scullery maid are not so great as to induce many people to leave a comfortable home in order to work in the scullery. But we are acquainted with one instance, in which the desire, on the part of a young girl, was so strong to become connected with the kitchen and cookery, That she absolutely left her parents and engaged herself as a scullery maid in a gentleman's house here she showed herself so active and intelligent that she very quickly rose to the rank of kitchen maid and from this so great was her gastronomical genius she became in a short space of time one of the best women cooks in england after this we think it must be allowed that a cook like a poet Nasciter non fit. 87. Modern cookery Modern cookery stands so greatly indebted to the gastronomic propensities of our French neighbours, that many of their terms are adopted and applied by English artists to the same as well as similar preparations of their own. A vocabulary of these is, therefore, indispensable in a work of this kind. Accordingly, The following will be found sufficiently complete for all ordinary purposes. Explanation of French terms used in modern household cookery Aspic, a savoury jelly, used as an exterior moulding for cold game, poultry, fish, etc. This, being of a transparent nature, allows the bird which it covers to be seen through it. This may also be used for decorating or garnishing assiette plate Assiette are the small entrees and hors d'oeuvre the quantity of which does not exceed what a plate will hold at dessert fruits cheese chestnuts biscuits etc if served upon a plate are termed assiette assiette volante is a dish which a servant hands round to the guests but is not placed upon the table small cheese souffles and different dishes which ought to be served very hot, a frequently made assiette volante. Au bleu. Fish dressed in such a manner as to have a bluish appearance. Ban marie An open saucepan or kettle of nearly boiling water, in which a smaller vessel can be set for cooking and warming. This is very useful for keeping articles hot, without altering their quantity or quality. If you keep sauce, broth or soup by the fireside, the soup reduces and becomes too strong, and the sauce thickens as well as reduces, but this is prevented by using the bain-marie, in which the water should be very hot but not boiling. Bechamel French white sauce, now frequently used in English cookery. Blanche To whiten poultry, vegetables, fruit etc., by plunging them into boiling water for a short time and afterwards plunging them into cold water there to remain until they are cold blanquette a sort of fricassee Bouilli, beef or other meat boiled but generally speaking boiled beef is understood by the term bouillet a french dish resembling hasty pudding bouillon a thin broth or soup braise to stew meat with fat bacon until it is tender it having previously been blanched braziere a saucepan having a lid with ledges to put fire on the top brydare to pass a pack thread through poultry game etc to keep together their members Caramel burnt sugar. This is made with a piece of sugar, of the size of a nut, browned in the bottom of a saucepan, upon which a cupful of stock is gradually poured, stirring all the time a glass of broth little by little. It may be used with the feather of a quill to colour meats, such as the upper part of fricandeau and to impart colour to sauces. Caramel made with water, instead of stock, may be used to colour compote and other entremets, Casserole. A crust of rice, which, after having been moulded into the form of a pie, is baked, and then filled with a fricassee of white meat, or a puree of game. Compote. A stew, as of fruit or pigeons. Consommé, Rich stock or gravy. Croquette. Ball of fried rice or potatoes. Crouton, sippets of bread. Daubière, an oval stewpan in which daub are cooked, daub being meat or fowl stewed in sauce. Desossé, to bone or take out the bones from poultry, game or fish. This is an operation requiring considerable experience. Entree, small side or corner dishes. Served with the first course. Entremet, small side or corner dishes served with the second course. Escalop collops small round, thin pieces of tender meat or of fish, beaten with the handle of a strong knife to make them tender. Foiletage, puff paste. Flambé. To singe fowl or game after they have been picked fonce to put in the bottom of a saucepan slices of ham veal or thin broad slices of bacon galette a broad thin cake gâteau a cake correctly speaking but used sometimes to denote a pudding and a kind of tart glacé to glaze Or spread upon hot meats or larded fowl a thick and rich sauce or gravy called glaze this is laid on with a feather or brush and in confectionery the term means to ice fruits and pastry with sugar which glistens on hardening hors d'oeuvre small dishes or assiette volante of sardines anchovies and other relishes of this kind served to the guests during the first course L'I, a bed or lair. Articles in thin slices are placed in layers, other articles, or seasoning, being laid between them. Maigre, broth, soup, or gravy made without meat. Matelote, a rich fish stew, which is generally composed of carp, eels, trout, or barbel. It is made with wine. Mayonnaise, cold sauce or salad dressing. Menu, the bill of fare. Meringue, a kind of icing, made of whites of eggs and sugar, well beaten. Muraton larger slices of meat than collops, such as slices of beef, for a vinaigrette, or ragout, or stew of onions. Mouillet, To add water, broth, or other liquid during the cooking. Panay To cover over with very fine crumbs of bread, meats, or any other articles to be cooked on the gridiron, in the oven, or frying pan. Piquet, To lard with strips of fat bacon, poultry, game, meat, etc. This should always be done according to the vein of the meat, so that in carving you slice the bacon across as well as the meat. Poile Stock used instead of water for boiling turkeys, sweetbreads, fowls and vegetables to render them less insipid. This is rather an expensive preparation. Puree Vegetables or meat reduced to a very smooth pulp, which is afterwards mixed with enough liquid to make it of the consistency of very thick soup. Ragout, stew or hash Remoulade Salad dressing Rissoles Pastry, made of light puff paste and cut into various forms and fried. They may be filled with fish, meat or sweets. Roux Brown and white French thickening. Salmi Ragu of game previously roasted. Sauce piquante A sharp sauce in which somewhat of a vinegar flavor predominates. Saute To dress with sauce in a saucepan, repeatedly moving it about. Tammy A sort of open cloth or sieve through which to strain broth and sauces, so as to remove them of small bones, froth, etc. Tot tart, Fruit pie Trousse, To truss a bird, to put together the body and tie the wings and thighs, in order to round it for roasting or boiling, each being tied then with pack-thread to keep it in the required form. Volavant A rich crust of very fine puff-paste, which may be filled with various delicate ragout or fricassee of fish, flesh, or fowl. Fruit may also be enclosed in a vol-au-vent. End of section 6